Welcome to the Investing Mastermind podcast. I'm Sina Lundholt. And I'm Michelle Markey. Today, we're featuring an interview with Wes Chambers, an investor and content creator from London, England. You might know him from Instagram, where he's known as Investing with Wes. On his Instagram, he shares company case studies using Warren Buffett's investing strategy. And that's how I got to know Wes. And I think it's going to be a special treat for our listeners to learn from someone who is so well-grounded in the Warren Buffett style of investing. So we hope you enjoy the interview with Wes. We'd like to start out by having you talk a bit about how you got into investing and what drew you to your current investing strategy of investing like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. Okay, so I first started investing in March 2020. So that was during you know the whole chaos of the the market just crashing. Um, during that time, I think I got into some companies like Carnival Cruise Line. I got into some travel companies. And yeah, that was the time when everyone was bailing. So I got into those. I made some decent return once everything recovers. Um, I also started getting into really some really speculative investments as well. So I got into things like gene editing like CRISPR. I got into some EV stuff. I got into some green energy stuff as well. And I thought I was doing the right thing, you know. So I made some decent returns on that, but something just just hit me over the head where I said, how am I making this crazy amount of gains within a short time? Like, is this normal? Is it not? So I started like questioning that and I just started going online and then I discovered Warren Buffett and I discovered value investing. So that pushed me to learn more. I just started searching up random videos about value investing, came across a YouTube channel. And when they were doing fundamental analysis, that was just something new to me because I never used to look at the balance sheet, the income sheet, the cash flow sheet. I just thought, okay, this company might be the future. I'm just going to buy it and hope for the best. That was my that was my thesis basically. And so when they were doing all this fundamental analysis, looking at all the, how much the company makes, I was like, this, this opened a whole new world to me. I was amazed. And ever since then, I just started learning everything I could about value investing. And I sold everything, sold all my old portfolio that filled with speculative investments, travel, um, travel companies, all these, um, you know, all these companies that crash and I full on went to value investing and I bought my first quote value stock. Um, I bought um, Sprouts Farmers Market. I also bought um, Academy in Sports. And ever since then, I've just been, it's been an amazing ride to be honest. Um, I'm having fun. I'm meeting a lot of good people. And yeah, I sleep. I sleep good at night knowing I don't have to worry about my portfolio. It's a more stressful thing because if I held on to those companies, I'd probably be deep on the water right now. That mm. was the companies I used to hold. Like I'm just listening to the basic companies I hold. I used to hold a lot more crazy like Jumia. I'm not sure if you heard of that one. So Jumia is like the Amazon of Africa. Mm. So um, I bought that $6 a share. I sold it, I think, around $50 um so yeah it was a, it was a stock recommendation by my cousin so I sold that $50 um I had quite a lot in that and 
if you look at it today, the stock is probably at around three dollars. So if I didn't sell it, I would have been so deep on the water. I've had a lot of really bad speculative investment, but now I've got a solid foundation where I could look at the facts. It's not based on hopes and dreams, just based on facts, really. So I'm pretty happy. Well, that's great. And when you said you, so you were um, initially investing a lot during that March 2020 crash. And then mm -hmm. somewhere along the way, at some point, you discovered more of, say, Warren Buffett through YouTube videos. And, you know, it, it seems remarkable that you discovered that so quickly. And uh, mm -hmm. when exactly did you come across like Warren Buffett or that like fundamental analysis? So I'll say one year after. So yes, to 2021, I would say I discovered it all. Um, and that's when I just changed everything um, and just switched to a more sound approach to investing, you know, slow and steady um, approach. Like the fast money does not work. And that's proven if you look at the current you know, environment with all these, you know, really speculative companies that don't make a profit or cash flow, they've gone up so quickly, but they've come back crashing down so quickly. So I think if you want to compound over time, that's not the right way to do it. It's all about the slow approach, you know, and just get that slow compounding going and focus on not losing money. Yeah, I think it's, uh, thank you so much for sharing, Wes. I think it's a, a quite remarkable story because most people, if they had that kind of return, they would stick mm -hmm. to to what they were doing mm -hmm. and and just continue to to speculate in the mm -hmm. stock market was was it a youtuber what what exactly were you pursuing a strategy or what exactly was it that drove you to sort of mm -hmm. change the way you were mm -hmm. doing things so when i was speculating i made around 50 53% in one year um so I don't know what clicked with me. I think I just stumbled across something and then I was like, I was learning about P ratios. I was learning about, you know, profits and all that stuff. And um, when I stumbled, like I was looking at P ratios, they say, you know, if it's a low P ratio, it might be cheap, but it's not always the case, but it's, it's a general indicator, you know, just to see how companies, you know, valued. Um, then I started going on stock screeners, looking at the lowest P ratio stocks. And that's where I found Sprouts. And, you know, and then I just went on YouTube, you know, typed in Sprouts to see what others are saying, like, you know, and that's when I learned about how to look at a balance sheet, the income sheet. And, and then I started digging deep into Sprouts. And yeah, and then... Ever since then, I just started applying that, slowly building up my process over time. At first, my process wasn't like, you know, really good. There's a lot of mistakes that I made at the beginning. But once, you know, you fully learn value investing, you learn, you know, the pros and cons and stuff, you have a solid foundation going out. And I feel I'm at that point now, but I'm still still learning, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we have a lot of uh, listeners with us and a lot of them don't come from within the financial industry. Is that, mm -hmm. is that where you come from or tell people a little bit about, you know? Um, so no, I've got no background in finance. And to be honest, I'm not really that good at maths as well. So this whole, you know, value investing, you know, it's a lot of numbers, you know, but you just have to, um, it's just something 
that just click with me, like the numbers and all that stuff. So I've got no financial background or or no one in my family that really works in the financial industry. So that's yeah, really, really cool. Yeah. 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 I definitely even though there's a lot of math, it it seems to be, you know, really, you know, we're really guided by common sense. Uh, most of the time in, in value investing is is my experience, right? Uh, with the numbers yeah. and things like that. All right. So what would be also great to to know is some of the resources that you have used to inform your investment style, um, which resources you found useful on your journey. Maybe you want to to share someone you follow or or some books or resources like that. So when I first started, I mostly consumed a lot of YouTube videos. Um, so I watch a lot of finance um, YouTube channel. I watch um, Everything Money. I watch Monish Cabrai's stuff as well. Um, I watch a lot of, you know, uploaded videos by Howard Marks, um, Seth Klarman, um, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger. Um, I just, you know, I just consume each one at a time. So I first start with Howard Marks, for example. Um, I find that he helps with the psychology. So that's helped me a lot with my psychology. Um, then Warren Buffett has helped me a lot as well. Seth Klarman has helped me a lot. Um, so yeah those kind of people but you have to be very careful with with you know social media in general because there's a lot of really bad financial you know education out there so it's about you know finding those needle in the haystack youtube channel that that will help you to learn and i'm enjoy, I'm, I'm enjoying that but as for books which is i've gotten into recently um I, i've read um Intelligent Investor, Master in the Market Cycle. Um, I've read Margin of Safety and I've read Richer, Wiser, Happier. And also um, there was a book, um, You Can Be Stock Market Genius. Those are the kind of books I've read. So yeah, it's been, those are resources I've been gravitating towards um, within the last year and a bit. And what stands out to you about say, Margin of Safety by Seth Klarman? Uh, I don't know. I feel like I resonate with Seth a lot. I like his approach. Um, uh, I watched a lot of videos. It's very rare to find him publicly speaking. So, yeah, just like it's some no nonsense really with Seth Carmen. He just says it how it is, and I'm enjoying. I've enjoyed looking into him um, from the short period of time. But Seth, uh, the margin of safety just breaks everything down that I've been learning. And it shows what I've not been learning is not nonsense. Like Seth Klarman says it, Warren Buffett says it, they all say the same thing. So yeah, and they've all had these crazy returns over a really long period of time. So yeah, that's it really. We were wondering also where your strategy, you know, you just spoke a little bit about it, but where your strategy falls within this Buffett spectrum, you know, there's actually a lot of disciplines within the Buffett style investing spectrum. Uh, do you take a different approach than very different approach than Buffett, or do you blend other strategies? Where on the spectrum do you fall? Do you so think? my strategy is mainly like a early days Warren Buffett slash early days um, Joel Greenberg. So Warren Buffett he mainly focuses on a lot of these smaller companies, and Joel Greenberg focuses on special situation. So for me, I've just used those two approach as I feel. You know, for the average retail investor, you know, we haven't got large sums of money to move around. So 
finding all these small companies can help us, you know, to compound really well over time. And also these small companies, like it can give you really good outsized returns compared to the market. And I feel for me as an average retail investor, I feel that's like a good approach to take because these companies are often not on the radars of big institutional or money managers or all these stuff. And sometimes they're not in the in the index fund. So I find great pleasure just finding these little obscure companies, you know, studying them and just wait for the market to appreciate them. And that's just mainly my strategies, really, just to focus on small companies and also special situation. I, in terms of special situation, I like spin-offs. They're my favorite thing to, to look at. You have an Instagram channel, Investing with Wes, where the audience can can follow you and we really enjoy your content on Instagram as well as mm. the newsletters you send out with your business cases and you use a, a checklist. Uh, can you share more about your checklist approach with the listeners? Okay, so the checklist approach, right? It's um, so it's more like it's, it gets me asking questions, really. So it gets me thinking the checklist. So the first thing I like to look at is the five-year average PE ratio. Uh, I like that to be less than 15. And then I like to look at the five-year average return on invested capital. I like that to be at least 10% and above. And then the five-year average profit margin, 10% and above. And then revenue growth, I like to see a little steady increase, something that's really predictable. And that's the same with net income. That's my other one. I like steady increase where it's predictable. Um, I like the shares outstanding to at least stay the same or decreasing. I like, um, so this one measures debt. Um, current. So I like to look at the current debt to equity ratio. I like that below 1.0. Um, free cash flow. I like to have a, see a steady increase in where it's predictable. Um, Five-year price to free cash flow ratio. So I like that um, to be below 15, which is in line with the P ratio. And then the current free cash flow yield, I like that to be about over 10%. Um, but the idea of this really, the checklist, is to get me asking questions and, and to interpret it in a way where it's it's in line with the current company. For example, if I'm looking at a tech company, right, and they've got, let's say, 10% profit margin, that's a red flag to me because, you know, tech companies, they tend to have really high margin. But if I'm looking like a retail and they have a 10%, you know, profit margin, that's really, really good. So the idea is to just put things into context and get me asking questions during my research phase. Um, but yeah, that's the idea of the, the checklist. I think a checklist is really important if you're an inv individual investor. It saves you investing in terrible companies and you'll be surprised a lot of people don't have it in this market and mm -hmm. it's safe yeah it's, it's saved me a lot since i've adapted this checklist i've avoided a lot of terrible companies and yeah i i encourage everyone to have a checklist that's awesome and and how does how do you find a wonderful business uh you know that will be able to fit into this checklist because i'm guessing that mm -hmm. you might need to look at different resources like do you use any screeners to initially look for potential candidates that you then measure against your checklist 
Yeah, so I'll say my current portfolio right now is all from screeners like that I found. I think one thing about me is I'm really good at finding these gems in these screeners. So the screeners that I use, I use three because I like to see what different screeners offers. Not all screeners offers the same companies when you put in these criteria. So the first screener I use is Finviz. I use that. I also use Yahoo Finance Screener and also Simply Wall Street Screener. Um, I use those three when I'm doing doing the screening sessions and see what I could find. Finwiz is my favorite too. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good one. It was the first one I discovered, to be honest. And when you're, uh, you know, evaluating these companies, do you feel like you need to have um, some kind of connection or meaning to any of them? Like, you know, say a wonderful business sometimes can be something that we personally care about. Like, for example, you know, I, I worked at Starbucks as a teenager. So to me, Starbucks has meaning. But do you mm -hmm. do you feel like it's necessary to have that? Or, you know, even if you may not have ever shopped there or been a consumer of some companies, um, uh, just wondering how how do you decide or, or feel like you find meaning in some of the wonderful companies you come across? So the companies, if you look at my current portfolio, um, I've not used any of these companies' products. I've known about the products, but I've not used them. So, for example, um, I hold um, Alibaba. I know about the products, like what they do, but it's not something I, I, haven't, I haven't really shopped on there, but I just know about it. But um, for me, how I form this connection with this company where I can wrap my head, um, it's just all about circle of competence, really. Um, I tend to invest in a lot of, you know, tech and retail companies. So retail of any sorts. Um, so that's how I find, you know, an understanding and connection with these companies. I feel more comfortable investing that way. Um, so, yeah. And also another thing I like to know with these companies, say everyone knows about the brand and the product and they've used it. It's very hard to find a mispricing because everyone knows about them. So, I tend to prefer companies that no one knows about and they're just obscure. And what, what type of things do you look for in a company to access if, if they have a durable competitive advantage or a moat, as uh, Warren Buffett likes to call okay. it? Okay, so first I like to look at their return on invested capital to see what it's like, what you know returns they get in on their investments. That's why I have that hurdle rate of 10%. Um, I also like to look at the management, you know, see how what their track record have been like over a long period of time. And also their capital, you know, I like to look at different stuff as well, like capital allocations, all these different stuff. Um, and also I like to look at, you know, how the business have performed over a long period of time. Um, I have this rule where I try not to invest in companies that are too new. So the IPO, like, five months ago I like to see a good track record of the business to see how it's coped with certain you know environment and that's how I go about it because I like to see a, a predictable thing and what are some of the criteria you use to judge management's performance um so management performance um as I said I like to look at the capital allocation so are they buying back shares at the right time or paying a dividend or something or are they reinvesting into good, you know, acquisitions? Those kind of things I like to to look at really, and also the, the management to see what their track record, their CV has been like over their career to see if they've got, you know, skin in the game. Yeah, absolutely. That's so important. 
Buffett, he talks about owner's earnings when yeah. he evaluates the intrinsic value of a business. Mm -hmm. Which valuations methods do you use? And can um, you explain your approach there? So I just use a simple DCF um, um, model. Discounted um, cash flow DCF. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, thanks. Um, so I just use a discount cash flow model. Um, it's not really, a, it's not really a complicated one. Just a simple one, you know. Project out the 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 growth of the company. Also have the exit multiple. Um, also what the current free cash flow is. What the debt is, what the cash is. That's about it, really. Um, just a simple one, just to get a value of what I want to pay for a company. I feel if you're looking at the companies, it's important to pay an appropriate price for it because obviously the lower you pay, the better your return, and the higher you pay, the worse your return. And I feel it's important to have a good margin of safety because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, five years down the line. So, yeah, right. that's yeah. Sorry, uh, how do you arrive at multiples? How do you determine those of like, what's a fair multiple to a company mm -hmm. and how do you determine the exit multiple? For example, um, I like to look at what it's historically traded at. So for example, if a company is historically traded at 20 times earnings, I like to pay between 15 and 16, just the market average. There are some companies that are historically trade at, I don't know, 12 times earnings. So I have a rule where I don't pay between I have a rule where I'll pay between eight and 10 times, you know, that's the kind of um, rule. But obviously the cheaper the multiple, the better. That's the way I go about it. I don't like to pay over 15, uh, 17, 16 times earning. 15 is where I just keep it nice and conservative. But a lot of people have said I'm really conservative and I don't know, that could be a good or bad thing, who knows, but I, I'm fine just sticking with this approach. Yeah. Do you ever worry about like if something were to be a value trap because it seems mm -hmm. so attractive on a low PE or other metrics and then mm -hmm. other people never recognize the value of the company and then it just goes sideways or, you know, it might go a little bit, but not like, you know, up into the moon. So maybe like yeah. th like those are maybe sometimes value trap situations. Yeah. Um, you have to be very careful, obviously, with value traps. So I don't invest in companies with low PE and they've got like stagnant growth. That's too scary to me. And there's one that comes to mind. Someone asked me about it at Walgreens or something. Like, I, I don't know if it's a value trap or not. It's low PE, stagnant growth. I don't know if it is a value trap. So I just stay away from it because I'm not too sure on that one. It it makes me think of, of a question, what would actually make you sell a business, uh, you know, once it's in your portfolio? Okay, so I have a few criteria in terms of selling. So one is, if my thesis has changed, I would happily sell it. Um, I have no reason to own the stock if I don't believe the current strategy of the company. Also, if the company is at a really bubbly valuation where where it's just too expensive, so I, I tend to sell. Also, um if I find a better investment where I could get a better return elsewhere, that's another thing that, um, in terms of what can cause me to rebalance things. All right. So Buffett says that the three most important words in investing is margin of safety. What do you consider to be a sufficient mass margin of safety? So when I'm doing my analysis, I like to use a 15% discount rate. So that acts as my margin of safety, as well as when you put in your assumptions that, you know, that will affect the margin of safety. I think 15% return for me is, is good enough. 
it means you know if I'm wrong, that will probably go down to what thirteen percent, fourteen percent, whatever it is. But I think fifteen percent should be good enough for anyone at, at my stage. Um, I think ten percent is too low, so I think fifteen is good. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to know more about Wes, you can follow him on Instagram. Search for Investing with Wes. He also has a Twitter account and a great newsletter that we will link to in the show notes. See you on Tuesday. If you enjoyed the show and found the content informational, we would be super grateful if you would leave us a review and follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you automatically get new episodes in your feed. We publish a new show every Tuesday. The contents of the Investing Mastermind podcast are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. None of this is investing advice, and if you need help in your personal situation, please consult with a professional.